you've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. College Volleyball Weekly, Episode 9, and as always, excellent action in Week 9, and we're going to do a little differently this week. We're going to have, I was going to call it the lightning round, but we now have a little more time, so I'm going to have Hooch's pick, and they get to pick whatever we get to discuss. We're going to go around the horn, and everyone can chime in, and God knows these guys will chime in, so uh, let's uh, have it. Brad, Ross Stratter, and myself are coming off of five Stetitis loss just yesterday so but we'll talk about it i'm sure someone's gonna pick on it but let's start with uh dan friend of lewis the topic he's gonna choose or issue because you know well, let's uh here. we were just talking about a little bit off camera here let's but let's talk about crs challenge review system so um you know i think there's some questions about like what we're doing on the men's side and just to clarify for people like it's three challenges on the men's side uh and ultimately if you win the challenge then you get it back uh, if you go to a fifth game and you still have all three, you wouldn't get the extra one. But if you'd used one or two, you'd get an extra one in the fifth game. Uh, I think there's a mirage of systems being used across the country. Some of the bigger programs uh, certainly uh, have some better systems. And then you'll see some other gyms maybe with not quite as good as systems. But uh, it is a bundle call. And what that means uh, for listeners is that basically when they go to look at a call that you specifically challenge, maybe you're in or out at the end of the play. <clears throat> They can go back and review the whole play. They might pick up a net. They might pick up a touch uh, at any given time. And that play uh, can be called in terms of that. So uh, I think that's a few things. I, I think I'll let these other guys chime in. But I, I do think it's a good thing. I think the thing we're running into is the rules and definitions of how things are being called and looked at isn't all, all the way defined, like the bundle rule across the board or making sure everybody's got three challenges or just the type of review systems that we're looking at. but. I think the important thing is we're trying to get it right for the kids that are playing the game. It helps out the officials. Personally, I think there should be a time limit on it. Uh, I think that would clean things up a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of like, hey, you got two minutes or three minutes or four minutes. And if you can't see it, then you can't overturn it. And if you can't see it, uh, then that's OK. But sometimes when these refs are looking at it for five or six minutes, it's not always on the refs. Sometimes it's on the system. Sometimes it's on the person that's helping operate, it, especially if it's a student. Uh, and so, but I think at the same time, we don't want to sit there and make the match way off time-wise. So, yep. All right. Yeah. They want to jump in. Uh, yeah, for us, I mean, to put in context what the bundle system is and um, basically what it means is we had a point in the fifth set last night where our middle went up, committed with their middle. Um, the ball was in, but it was called out on the court. Um, and then Donan challenged for a block touch. And the ref then was able to see the ball was in and overturned it pretty quickly. Um, but that's kind of the, how it affects the game and what you see is like what the coach challenge isn't necessarily what they're only looking at. They're looking at the whole picture to get it right. Um, which obviously, you know, last night I was absolutely hated the bundle call. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but um, in the moment I was definitely not so happy about that bundle call. Well, and, and here's the other thing, not everything is contestable so obviously the subjective calls the lifts and the doubles you can't make any request to challenge that because that's a subjective call 
However, there's some things that that you would be surprised that you're not allowed to challenge. For example, right now, if a libero steps on the 10 foot line and makes a set with his hands and an attacker goes and attacks it and the opposing coach requests a challenge on that, you can't contest that. That's not challengeable, even though that's a black and white issue. It's either he is or he isn't. But that's not one of the challenges that's reviewable. They're actually trying to go into the books and make that a reviewable challenge in the future. But everyone could watch and see the kid is clearly in front of the 10-foot line, sets with his hands, guy to make a kill. Nobody can contest it if the refs don't catch it. Okay, we had one this weekend. Uh, kid, ball goes into the stand or going to the stands or libero is chasing after it. And the guy kicks a foot out, you know, and then kicks the ball and our guy... I was going to play. It almost kicked our guy. Uh, we couldn't challenge that. Like if it was in the playable area, uh, it was just deemed uh, the official felt like, nah, it wasn't still in the playable area. And I'm like, it's tough because that kid had to play on it. Because anyway, we had one in the fifth where a guy literally played it above a fan. That fan said, hey, I'm going to stay away and let the kid play it. So uh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, issues with our replay system. Obviously, with all sports, we're headed in the direction where technology is assisting, right? And, and it's helping us get the right calls, which is obviously the direction that we need to go. But for most schools, including us, we're relying on DV Sport, which is essentially a basketball replay software. Um, and if you were to compare the two sports, right, basketball, although is a can be a fast game in terms of the running motion, their ball doesn't move all that fast in comparison to men's volleyball. And I think the, the frame rates for the stock cameras, unless you've upgraded them, are somewhere in the 50 to 60 frames per minute. Um, and really, in order to catch our ball, and especially on the men's side and the speed of some of these serves and some of these attacks, you need to be in the 800 frame rate in order to be accurate. And so a lot of these referees, as they go to the reviews and they're taking a look at this, they're struggling to see it because the ball is jumping. I mean, it's quite literally at full speed. It's not, you're not able to see it. And sometimes, I mean, you, I know you guys notice it when we watch volumetrics, even on volumetrics, the frame rate isn't quite high enough where you can see balls that get towards that sideline. There's a gap between the two frames and you can't tell Is it in, is it out? It's a little bit different, difficult to judge. And I think that's leading to a lot of standing around and, um, a little bit of dead time on air. Jay, you got something? Yeah, no, I want to piggyback on you because you're 100% correct. So, you know, DV Sport has 60 frames per second. That's their bare minimum. Uh, and it's the cheapest system available in terms of where it was years ago. However, there is another company now that is starting to challenge that, that the company is called Echo. And there's a lot of men's teams that are getting on board with it. Their system is relatively economical, but their frame rate per second at least on the two cameras that we're getting installed for the net where the blocking action happens is 180 frames per second. And that has been uh, a noticeable increase. Now, granted, when you say 800 frames a second, that's FIVB World League. That's Olympics where you literally see the ball barely clip the finger and the finger wobbles just a little bit. That's a that's a technology that probably is another five years down the line that's going to be affordable for any program to be able to use in college. And when I say that, I mean, the highest in Nebraska's Texas of the world for the men's programs that probably won't happen for us for another eight to 10 years because it's just going to be too expensive, but it is getting better. And you're hundred percent correct in the women's game. You can see here's a blocking hand 
frame one, frame two, frame three, frame four, you're hoping to get it somewhere in there. With 180 frames per second, it's now frame one, frame two, frame three, frame four, frame five, frame six. So now we're getting a much better picture of what we're able to see. Uh, and you don't need all your cameras to be there. The sideline cameras, if you're going down, probably can get away with 120, which it makes some sense. But yeah, volumetrics is even, I think, at 60 frames per second, which is really, really tough to see sometimes. Yeah, yeah so we're, getting, we're getting echo. <clears throat> We've got the system. We're just getting it installed, so I'm excited to to see what it does when we get to that point for us. So. I mean, there's been times this year where, you know, they challenge a block touch and you come into the huddle on the sideline because we want to prepare for what's coming next. And it's like, hey, did you touch it? And they're like, yep, we touched it. And two or three times it isn't called just because it's so hard to see it to and to be conclusive to overturn. Yep, yeah, taking your chances. A couple of follow-up questions for you. Um, so difference in the international game because you know, working with uh, VNL and all the international competitions I have, you know, I'm in touch with the Hawkeye guys. So, and Hawkeye is a system that's being used on that level. And it's at least last night I talked to the guys is 240 frames per second, but they also had 27 cameras uh, all around the field of play, which is pretty phenomenal. But on top of that, they have the graphic for the ball in out to show the expansion of the ball as it hits any surface. So, um, you know, with that, you know, I know that that some places only have three or four or five cameras, if that. I mean, it's are we anywhere near that? I know that's a money issue, but well, I think that Hawkeye system, Rob, is eighty thousand um, <laughs> is the, is the quote that that we got, and so I think it is highly unattainable for most for most most programs. Um, but in addition to that, Hawkeye operates with an AI technology that creates that graphic that you see in tennis where you can see it painting the line and it uses a series of algorithms to judge ball speed and the trajectory and, and the apex. And then they come up with this beautiful <laughs> re rendering of where the ball landed. And it, I mean, it's really, really high tech. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw something out there and this is a multi-million dollar idea. I only want 5% of it, but it's my job to mention it, create a flooring system with what like the old shirts used to have, where when you touch it, it would have a heat impression, create a flooring system around the, the, uh, the lines. So when the ball hits the floor, it leaves a friction imprint that lasts for 10 seconds or whatever. And if there's a question, the lines person can run over and go yay or nay. And there it is. And it's Jay, probably- Bear with me, bear with me. And then we go outside, we get sand, and then we can check if the ball hits the sand if there's any ball marks too. That's right. Yeah, I mean that's that's what you do. So listen, there's a million there's a million dollar idea. I want five percent because I said it here first, uh, and there's my copyright infringement in case anybody wants to run with it and not pay me. Well, I'll tell I you, screwed. I got screwed on the whole cross net thing. Pesto and I invented that game at Irvine Valley back in 2005 or 2006, and the cross net company gave us nothing for that. So I want my five percent. Well, I'll tell you though, with the with the gear floor, is it gear floor and terra floor? Yeah. I could see that being a real thing, Jay. Like I really yeah. could. Obviously, yeah. it'd be impossible for that to be on hardwood and stay permanently. But man, with these roll in and roll out floor systems that you know Irvine, Long Beach, uh, USC have, it it seems it seems like it'd be possible. Yeah. All right. Anything else on our CRS video challenge topic brought up by Dan Friend Lewis? 
All good. That's a great topic to start off with because no, none of us were affected by that just last week at all. Right, Brad? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, next topic. Uh, we'll let. Let's go West Coast. We we'll go to Theo. What, what's on your mind? Yeah, I, I think it's time we have a conversation about Hawaii <laughs> and what they were able to accomplish this week. I'd uh, love to get some thoughts from you guys. And and uh, you know, I think this is this is uh, we've been having questions, right? Hey, is Hawaii the real deal? We're gonna wait and see. Let's let's see what happens, and then they come across Pepperdine. Right. And uh, this might be one of the most dominant performances of 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 the top tier teams that we've seen. Um, and I did not have an opportunity to see it live. I'm hoping that some of you guys did um, and that you can provide some feedback. Obviously, Jacob was back in the lineup. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this was this was incredibly impressive from a numbers perspective. And, you know, I don't know that anybody has has been able to do anything quite like this to Pepperdine of yet. Uh, and so I'm curious to see what your guys' thoughts are. Jay's smile means he wants to go first. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I agree with Theo. I think Hawaii uh, proved to everybody that it's not just about the scheduling or lack of. Uh, they are a good team and they don't drop when they play teams that are maybe not of high caliber and they step up when they play teams of caliber. And they're going to have a real test this week. Uh, UCLA and Penn State are coming into their house. I wouldn't be surprised if that Penn State match is sold out. Uh, the Stan Sheriff Center uh, holds, what, 10,000 people. I wouldn't be surprised if there's 11,000 people in that place. Uh, that's going to be an absolutely electric match to be a part of. If you are not used to playing in front of that many people, it's going to be a little daunting. But Hawaiian fans have always proven to be some of the most knowledgeable fans in the country. They cheer for both programs that there's good plays that happen. Obviously, they're rooting for the Bows. But, um, no, I agree with Theo. I, I, I think Hawaii uh, is humming on all cylinders right now. The question will be, when they play these better teams like UCLA, like Penn State, uh, you know, like Long Beach, maybe a little bit down the line, uh, maybe Grand Canyon, will they be able to maintain? And I, and I think the answer to that is yes. But will they be able to increase – that we talked about it last week. Last week, there there are a few teams that are up here already that are pinging as far as they can go, and everybody else is catching up. Can they get better? Can they get even cleaner? Can they miss less serves? Can they make more blocks? I think that remains to be seen. But man, is it exciting to watch them play! All right, how about uh, we'll go to uh, Brad, being that you get to see them a couple times in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, it's. I mean, to me. You know, it kind of solidified that, you know, as we're looking at these, really those top four teams, right? The UCLA, Hawaii, Long Beach, Penn State. Um, it really solidified Hawaii being on the top end of those um, and really kind of being in the upper echelon of that group. You know, and I think, you know, next weekend matches are, are going to be a, a great showcase of the top tier high level volleyball that we have being played this season. Um, but in terms of the question marks with Hawaii, there, there are none on my end. They serve with pace. They serve in more consistently than any other team in the country. Uh, their block defense is really organized. Uh, um, blockers get across the net. Defenders make some really good read. Um, Chaz, Spiro, Chakas, they make some really good plays at middle back. And Brett Stewart is a heck of a setter, a heck of a libero, and a heck of a volleyball player. 
And I think just across the board, they they are the epitome of playing some good, clean volleyball. So, um, yeah, I wasn't super surprised with those results, um, but the fact they were able to manage um, Pepperdine and Jalen Jasper was was an impressive showing for sure. Yep, good stuff. Anyone else want to chime in? Anything else about Hawaii? Oh, Dan, yeah. you have to go. That's right. You haven't seen them this year yet. Well, I haven't, know. but I, so Chaka has had a comment I want to talk about on his Twitter, and I thought it was a really good uh, comment. He talked about why is there a need for you to talk through the net uh, if you can't back it up and play it? It was something in that regards about playing playing a high level. Do you know what I mean about why are Americans chirping through the net uh, constantly? Do you know what I mean in terms of that? And uh, I thought it was really good. Like a like. He's a good, good player. And to see that comment make out about, hey, just go play your game at a high level and let your body of work carry carry you through. Do you know what I mean, it was really what he was saying. Uh, and so it was, uh, uh, I don't know, he jumped up in my book. Because I think sometimes you get some guys who, you know, they want to chirp away and use their mouth. But, like, is your team and are you playing at the level that you need to in order to kind of do that a little bit? And certain guys need that a little bit. But I think it happens a little bit more often than it needs to sometimes. Do you know what I mean, like, in terms of that. And so. Uh, but Hawaii's good. You know what I mean? This the, Jay brought it up. This outrigger tournament's going to be great. Like Penn State, UCLA, Ball State, um, just some high-level physical athletes playing some high-level volleyball. That would be, if I was doing anything, or I think I'm coaching, uh, it'd be nice to be there, hang out, and just watch that high-level volleyball because there's some pretty remarkable talent on the floor with all these teams right now. So. Well, you know, Dan, coming in May – you could hang out at my house and we could uh, watch. Hey, I've already bought my flight, so I'm pretty sure I'm there either way, whether my team's at or I'm not. So, uh, so say, I'll be at the All-American Banquet. I'll be probably hanging out at your house one time. So, yeah. So. Yep, yep. The it's hotel Hossack is filling up super fast. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was going to be a youth hostel is what it's going to be. Everyone's going to be camping around your house. Good stuff, part two. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to be playing some golf with some coaches that are coming to stay with us. I got to make up a little bit for my salary. So me taking a little bit of their money in the process. No gambling. <laughs> we do not endorse gambling on this show. <laughs> gambling is legal now, isn't it? <laughs> Just want to make correction. I think, Dan, you said Ball State. It's PFW Penn State. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Purdue Fort Wayne. My bad. So, you know, and, and, and to piggyback on what Dan said, uh, the Americans chirping through the net, I think there's it's a factor of two things to me. Uh, one is a lot of those kids played club together in high school together growing up, and now they see each other through the net. And there's a little fun banter going back and forth. It's it, if you if you watch most men's games, there's a little men's golf and men's volleyball are probably two of the best heckling sports in the country in the world. And some of the banter that goes on back and forth is pretty good. And at the end, they're all friends. They're all hanging out and taking pictures together. But I think the second factor, which is a little bit more, I'm going to say dark. This is the wrong way to go with it. But a little bit more uh, prevalent is you're starting to see football, basketball, what goes on in their arenas between players start to permeate other men's sports. And volleyball, unfortunately, uh, is starting to... Uh, hear and see some of that through social media, through Instagram and Twitter and all those things. And they're seeing guys banging their chest and yelling, screaming at each other. And there's fights going on. It's not that level yet, but there are some times that you look at a guy and you're like, look, there's no reason to chirp about that. Like, you know, have some fun, act like you've done it once in a while. I understand teams yelling, screaming and hooping it up and having a good time when there's a big block or a big swing or anything. 
but there's some people that take it a little bit overboard and make it more personal. And, and I think that's what Dan's talking about. And I, and I would agree. And, and, and Chaka's good for him for speaking up. And that's, that's a big deal coming from a foreign kid who probably, you know, in Europe, they're going, what's the big deal? Like you put a ball down, you celebrate, we move on. We don't need to be chirping through the net. So. Yeah. Dan brought a good point. Um, but Hawkus, uh, Spiros Hawkus, um, man hit over 500 on both nights and watching them play was insane. And I think we need to lobby to call it not the simplify Stan Sheriff center arena. We need to call it Hawkus hurt locker because he is putting a hurt on the opponents. So that's my plug. Secondly, I don't know if you guys saw any of the highlights, but uh, Cole Hoagland gets my pink slip blocker of the year award. (laughs) One goes up on Akinwumi in the middle, kind of shows line, goes up, spreads his arm, his left arm to the left, Kong block number one. Like, oh my gosh, that is sports center top 10 material. What's he do Friday night? exact same play <laughs> and the proof is in the different color uniform that it happened again so uh, <laughs> what a monster i mean that guy has been a living highlight reel this season he's got so many like even the fall exhibition irvine tella one hand back set hoagland's there hammers it like 10 foot line no block up so i'm pretty sure i saw theo do that back when he was a player like this you know so So we're lobbying for king kong cole so uh (laughs) um but a side topic because you you mentioned it in your question um polls who they're playing is there a question mark there is some discussion last week about oh hawaii's strength of schedule is terrible they don't deserve to be a number one i'm like wow you got to look at the big picture of who this team is and I know there's limitations as to scheduling as well because of certain programs only have X amount of money. Some will blow their entire budget if they go to Hawaii or vice or bring in Hawaii there. So um, can any guys speak about that? Because I know that was a hot topic on one. Yeah, of the- Rob, you got to remember this. These are student athletes, right? And Hawaii is an island. Uh, it, there, it's a minimum of Wait, a what? Five- it's an island. <laughs> it's, it's a minimum five-hour flight, right? In order to in order to get matches, and so it is a challenge both financially for the teams that come and compete against them, and it is incredibly difficult for Hawaii to leave that island 15, 20 times in a semester. Uh, you know they've got they've got school, and so I think it's incredibly difficult for them to put together a schedule just in general. And I think as you know, there's the Big West form and we only have six teams, they're only getting 10 guaranteed, right? And so outside of that, they got to be incredibly creative. And I think that if you were to ask the Hawaii coaches, they would love to play the best teams night in and night out, but it's just not the reality all the time. Sorry. And and remember, back when the MPSF was 14 teams, 26 of those dates were already taken. You know, and Hawaii didn't have to scramble to schedule big teams in there because – they all came at some point, whether one year, uh, the same year. Then when the big, he's right. When the big ones happen, now all of a sudden you've only got 10 matches and probably half of those are not at home. You're on the road. So now you're scrambling. You've got maybe four to six matches a year at home where you used to have 12 to 14. Now you can see the money dropping, right? Cause they used to have some income that would come for that. And I don't know if their athletic department shares that revenue. Not all schools are the same. I'm just assuming they are. Who knows? But now you're scrambling to fill 18 contact dates 
And Theo's right. These are student athletes. They can't be on the road for all of those just so they can go get matches. They got to try to bring people in. They're trying to work some deals with uh, with some of the local hotels. It's not easy. And he's right. It's a five-hour flight for people on the West Coast. It's an 11-hour flight for people on the East Coast. And again, it's 1 or 2 a.m. by the time we're playing from the East Coast in Hawaii if we start at 7 p.m. It's not easy. And Hawaii is definitely, um, they're feeling the pinch a little bit with scheduling because it's not as easy as it used to be for them. Yeah. And, and as much as we want to be critical of their scheduling, still one of the criteria for getting in the national tournament is just overall wins. And they tend to be getting a lot of those, you know, every single year. And it, it sets them up for success there. And that's just the reality of it. Yep. Yep. Well, to piggyback that with Brad is there's a, there's more teams. I mean, I know what, 25 new programs in the past five years. And so like everybody wants to play Hawaii. You know, everybody wants to go out there. Uh, shoot, I think I got a scheduling template from Charlie's second assistant coach about, hey, when do you want to come play? So I go, Charlie, what are we doing now? You know what I mean? So, but I think the other piece of that is, and all these coaches on here know that, there's a balance with your schedule. It's like, if I play a hard team every single week, or I, I don't put myself in a position to play some other teams, whether it be East Coast, Conference Carolinas, West Coast, there's a balance with your schedule, home and away and all that stuff. And so, and then at the same time, you're trying to build a schedule over two, three, four years. And so I look at it like this, I've got a student athlete. I want him to get the opportunity to see multiple gyms and multiple places over his career. And so not only am I trying to balance like where I think it could put me in a good spot and I want to have some tough teams and I want to have some teams where I feel like we might be able to get a couple wins, but I also want to make sure my student athlete has the experiences as a student athlete to see the East coast, to see the conference Carolinas, to see the West coast, to see the BYU. So it's like, uh, at, when you're building a schedule, there's so much more that goes into it than just like, you know, what some people might think from the outside in terms of that. So. Excellent. Anything else? Are we good. That was the Hawaii topic. Big one there. <laughs> you know, thank you. <laughs> well, Sass our Hawaiian listeners, which they all love. <laughs> you. They don't love us, but that's all right. <laughs> Let's go to Jay's quadrant of the video screen and see what topic or what sticky wants to stir. That, well, that's I've got, the I've got two, and I know that that's cheating a little bit, but I think one of them is fairly quick. The first one is, what are we doing with these throws that is going on in men's volleyball? And by throws, I mean the water polo catch and throw, the catching with two hands and changing direction throws, the going up, catching it, setting it into the hands and holding it. It's getting ridiculous, uh, and and it's not volleyball. And and listen, I get it. Um, you know, their blocks are much better than they used to be. Uh, they're much more savvy. Hitters are becoming more savvy with some of these things. But I'm wondering if we're losing a little bit uh, of our sport with that. So my suggestion would be to those powers that be, let's review this topic. Maybe we say from now on. No open hand tips. And if you want a tip or whatever, you got to use your knuckles like you do on the beach. I'm not trying to change the game. Don't everybody write hate mail to me saying that I'm this, you know, old school dinosaur. I'm just trying to get rid of some of this stuff that's becoming a little bit crazy. Leave that topic as it is. When are we going to start talking about Charleston? 
So we're talking about Hawaii being good. Charleston just no, you got to go back to this topic before your second topic. You can't, leave. You can't leave the first one. You can't leave the first one. <laughs> all right, I'll bring it back. Swipe right. Go back, back to the topic. Swipe right. Throws. Go. We all have opinions, and I have totally agree with Jay. I think it's a one motion contact on a throw. You get one joint. That's the definition. Do you know what I mean? It's like, hey, I'm going to throw a ball, and it's got to be through my hand. And you can't prolong contact off your hand. I think that's illegal. I think. If I'm bending my able, initiating contact and throwing off, that is a lift. You know what I mean? From that standpoint, that's how it should be called. And the guys that set, if you set quick and you get a play, great. But if I set, hold, and pull, that's a throw too. You know what I mean? And I just think it needs to get cleaned up by the officials in terms of that, in terms of what's actually the action that's happening. Because uh, some of the definitions are already there. They've just been directed to let things go. But I think at some point it's like, Hey, it's got to be in front of my head. It's got to be one motion, and it can't be prolonged contact. And if you're a coach that's stuck on that, then you're not playing real volleyball, I think. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, my here's here's my – I guess I'll, I'll take the other side of this. Um, I think in general, this is the most difficult thing to call for all referees. Um, not only is it incredibly difficult, but it varies from ref to ref, and it varies match to match. Um, and I think that the reason that the game has gone so liberal with these calls is strictly because the referees couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They weren't doing it well, and they were struggling to get it consistent across the board. Um, I agree with you guys in the sense that I think that we do need to rein it in a little bit. But I think I would be lying if I, if I was to say that I believe our referees are capable of doing it across the board consistently. I think that you're going to see matches lost on plays that are being called in one gym and not called in another. And I think it would be better to err on the side of we could get this thing as consistent as possible if we let some stuff go um, and then make sure that it's even across the board as opposed to try and nitpick what is and what is it. I think Jay's got it on hit on the head. If you're going with two hands, it's got to be clean, right? This turn, this catch, turn, dump thing that, that setters are doing, that is absolutely a throw. There's absolutely no question, and I think that should be an easy one for all referees to call. I think that when we now have a lot of – the game's getting faster, right? It's becoming incredibly fast to the pins. If you get rid of the open-hand tip and go to a knuckle tip, I think you're going to watch offenses slow down because right now a lot of hitters are saving setters with these balls that are flying past the antenna by getting that open hand tip and being able to control that thing. If you, you can't open hand tip, you're going to see slower offenses. Nice. Anything I'm for it. Let it ride. Like let's, let's get more freedom. Let's get more craziness in it. Um, <laughs> but I, in seriousness, I think the refs have done a lot better job dealing with the jams, the throws um, across the board. And it is, extremely tough like how do you tell if the ball's in slightly in front of your head above your head behind your head it's really tough to tell and I think that's something that the refs have been more mindful of and I've seen more lifts called on those than I ever have um you know and it's probably not as much as you want and then in terms of the setting you know as an attacker when you set it over I think the the key there is making sure that when it is played into the block that happens so quickly it's similar like if a setter doubles uh, more so in club, setter double set in a quick attack. It happens so quickly that it's really hard for the refs to be able to pick up, notice kind of the hand contact, the spin, 
and the trajectory of which the up ref is watching that play to see the ball and see the spin and see the hand contact because they really can't even see the inside hand as the outside hitter is going up to set that ball into the block. So it makes it really, really difficult. Um, but I think for the most part, it's gotten better. We Yeah, we need a little bit more constraints, but I think it's created a lot more uh, by need creativity for blockers, creativity for attackers. Um, and we've seen some some pretty fun, interesting um, kind of evolutions off of it. Yeah. All right. Anything else add on the topic? Oh, we can swipe left again and go to your other one, Jay. What are we going to talk about Charleston? Charleston just came off a four-set win against Ohio State in Ohio State's house. Uh, they, uh, let's see, Lachlan Bray hit 458, and uh, Luke Babel hit 552 against Ohio State, and Diego Villavane set them to a 429 clip as a team against Ohio State in Ohio State's gym. Uh, I think that makes Charleston a topic of conversation of no longer, hey, their schedule doesn't really help them too much, blah, blah, blah. You know, they beat us in five and then we beat them in three, but then all of a sudden they turn around and they go take care of Ohio State in four in their place. That's a topic. The topic of conversation is how far can they go? Are they are they just about midway through? Uh, are they going to be kind of average and, and slightly above average, or are they going to be in the topic of conversation of maybe upsetting a team or two to get in deep into the EIBAs? That's that's my question. Right. Topics out there. Let the piranha feed. Go for it. I'll go. Uh, we're talking about, talking about them a pretty good amount until you beat them, Jay. But uh, <laughs> I think wasn't that, wasn't that just last week? I feel like Charles has been on this conversation topic every single week. You know what I mean? In terms of that. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I mean, the sign of a good team is how they bounce back, right? They had a tough five set win and then got beat in three sets against you guys. And seeing them respond with that match against Ohio State is a testament to Luke and what that crew is doing there. And I think they're solidifying themselves within that kind of eight through 14 range um, to where if they're having good nights, they can beat some teams that are ranked higher, clearly since they just beat Ohio State. Um, but then they've also proven that they can beat those teams that aren't quite in that same class of volleyball. Um, so I think they're, they're kind of right in that range where exactly, you know, probably around that 10, 11 mark, but, um, I've been really impressed with them and, and seeing them respond like that in, uh, the Covelli center out there in Columbus is, is, a is a nice take. All right. Good take. Who's up next on the, uh, the feeding on the Charleston train. Yeah, I'll go quickly. I, I think, um, I think when it comes down to it, as we analyze this team, what we're all learning is that as this season unwinds, there isn't one team that wants to see Charleston in that conference tournament. That's the absolute truth. And I think we all know that we watched it with Princeton last year. We know that it's possible. If a team gets hot, they can put themselves in a position to potentially make a run. And, uh, I, I think now that we've seen Charleston do it to this level, we now know that they're capable. And, you know, if they get hot at the end, they could be a, a, a serious, uh, a serious threat. Yeah, there we go. There's the fast feed. Hey, Who else wants turn. to jump in? Yeah, I do. I, uh, kudos to Luke Reynolds. Uh, I think he continues to show that he's taking strides with this program. So I think George Mason was a test and they got a split and then they come back and they bounce back and, 
uh, beat Ohio State, who's a good group uh, in their gym. Um, I think he's coach of the year in the EVA right now, in, in my mind, in terms of what he's done with that program. Uh, and we'll continue to do because I think they're not done uh, in terms of shaking some things up and uh, and doing some damage. So I think uh, good group and they got an older group, I think, you know, the setter's a senior, right, in terms of that. And so it does a really nice job. And so I think they're going to be pretty formidable as a season. They're going to stay ranked as a top 15 team. So. All right. Are we good? Because that means Brad gets to close us out with his coach's pick topic. I'm going to drop this in here quickly and then I got to run in a little bit. Um, but the fifth set ace, you got Jackson Hickman against BYU with the fifth set ace. And then Cal Fisher last night with the fifth set ace to finish it off in two of the premier matchups um, this weekend. I thought those were uh, pretty impressive ways to finish out a fifth set. There you go. Let the coaches feed. Who's up? Yes, I'll, grab it. I'll grab it and go. Um, I think that uh, if you watch, if you watch this game at a, at a really high level um, and I know the coaches know this for sure, there's, there's a lot of pressure both on the server, but absolutely on those passers in those moments. And if you go back and watch film of the two aces that Brad's talking about, there were some very unorthodox movements that you saw from the passers that that led to some of these aces one of them looked like maybe out of position the other one a little bit of an awkward dive move um but i think if i was to put my spin on it pressure got the best of them um and it was the end of the match it was obviously a pivotal moment and a big time serve came one that maybe was a little bit more difficult than they were hoping in that moment and uh it led to an ace pressure on those receptors on those receivers well, I think one you talk about Cal Fisher, one of the best servers in the country consistently over the past three years. So you're so you already walk into that situation as passers going, oh, this guy's a good server. And he Cal walks into that position going, I'm a great server. I'm going to make you pass this ball. So you're already you're the receipt team. You're already a step backwards. You know what I mean? And then you talk about Hickman and that group at BY or at, uh, GCU, and they put so much serving pressure on teams. Um I want to get my team to where they're serving like that at the end of the game. And so that people were scared of them in terms of that, but two teams that are really good at serving right now that I'm not surprised that they're creating uh, an ace at the end to win those matches. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to finalize all this, you know, Cal Fisher, obviously one of the best servers in the country. Uh, obviously Hickman doing that job that night. How about Hanno at UC Irvine last night with nine aces breaking the school record on only four errors, which is absolutely stupid. And four of those came on shop serves in a row. That's ridiculous. Um, and servers are becoming much more adept at hiding what they're doing. Uh, and I just, you know, it, it's a it's an unbelievable feat to see servers being that aggressive. You're seeing a lot of teams now going with four-man serve receives on bigger guys to take up less, take up more space and there's less room in between in the seams. Uh, and GCU, Janky hit 412 on the, on the weekend. So, you know, Grand Canyon, kudos to you. You're doing a great job, but you're doing it on all different fronts. So, um, yeah, but servers, guys are doing a great job at a lot of places. Excellent stuff. I, I know we've got to cut it short this week, and I apologize for our listeners and viewers, but, you know, a big thing has been, what are you watching this week? But I feel like just pick one and then pick a player of the week because one of the things that's been ro uh, running on social is, 
your guys' players of the week. So uh, I know that some may drop two because there's a lot of really good performances, but pick one match you're watching and one player of the week. And uh, give you a second there. Uh, I want to point that Jay's on a three-match winning streak. Theo upset Stanford. Dan took it to five, I believe, with McKendry. Uh, a win. I was, what night was that? I don't even know. My Friday night? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Brad, I'm sorry. It's Big West play. You're still, you know, face Santa Barbara. They had their alumni in the house. They had additional momentum or uh, pressure on them to win. And you got your second loss in Big West. But Big West play starts this week and you come to Irvine. So... <laughs> With we'll that, see you, you Charlie on Friday. What's that? We'll see you and Charlie Brand on Friday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but let's see. Um, let's go with. Uh, let's start with uh, Jay since he's a little later in the day right now for us time wise. <laughs> I'm absolutely 100% drinking as much coffee as I can. This match sponsored by Folgers Coffee, Penn State, Hawaii, Friday night, 7 p.m. at the Stan Sheriff Center, 2 a.m. over here on the East Coast drinking lots of coffee my player of the week is absolutely henno from uc irvine with that service performance all right great choices let's go to theo since he put the finger up and wagged me yeah i got you um i think if we're going if we're going player of the week it's spiros right i think night one 516 night two 591 against pepperdine i mean that is absolutely ridiculous those are middle blocker numbers and it's just insane um the match i'm watching i'm gonna stick with the outrigger and I'm going to go UCLA-Hawaii. Uh, you know, these are going to be probably some of the most exciting matches we've seen all season. And uh, really looking forward to it. Jump over to Dan. Well, I, I, it's the outrigger tournament. You know what I mean? So I just like, uh, I, I think it's the one to be watching. So you got some great volleyball and some great matches. Uh, Jay, who was your player of the week? Hanno from UC Irvine. All right. So since Theo took mine, I'm going to take uh, Christian Janke. So we talked about him and how impactful <laughs> how impactful his performance was for those guys getting two wins against BYU. So uh so pretty impressive. All right, over to Brad Rothschetter. All right, these guys took my matches with my players. Um you can so see UC Irvine, UC San Diego. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely be watching that one. I'll be a little busy watching that one. Um my player of the week, I'm going uh Simon Torrey. His serve is causing some chaos and he was uh He's been great that switch to the middle last season and he's been dominant in the middle and um, really from the end line, he's been really impressive. Um, and then match to watch, I think Pepperdine USC is kind of um, going to be uh, a good battle within the MPSF. Um, but yeah, the reality is I'll be preparing for Irvine and then watching a little bit of the outrigger out there. And I think the Hawaii uh, UCLA match or the Hawaii Penn State match, I think we're going to see that match sometime in May. Um, out in Fairfax, Virginia. Yeah. Well, that Pepperdine USC match, there was some chirping last year between those two teams. I wonder if uh, things have settled a little bit there because I know that a former contributor on the show here, whose name shall not be mentioned, they should learn there. to align their hakas. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it the guy that was part of that gone anyway? So. Yeah, they're both gone. <laughs> <laughs> they're both gone. <laughs> Don't be near this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's uh, Brad Rothstrand of UC San Diego, Jay Osick of George Mason, Dan Finn of Lewis, and Theo Edwards of Cal State Northridge. Appreciate your time. As always, great insight and great topics this week. Best of luck this week. Uh, we'll check in again next week on Episode 10. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. 
be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter. <laughs>